0: Hi
1: folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, or even if they don't. Today is March 28, 2013, and this is episode... 1,099 of the Survival Podcast. Guys, you realize tomorrow's Friday show will be 1,100, episode 1,100 of the Survival Podcast. Uh, I made a commitment when I started this show that we'd be around for the long haul. As you can see, it's certainly coming to pass. Uh, And we just seem to find better and better guests on our guest interview shows. And I've got one today that's freaking dynamite. I'm telling you, dynamite. Laurit Lynn. Author of a book that I love, Don't Do Drugs, Stay Out of School. Yes, I said stay out of school. We're going to talk about, uh, let's call it individualized learning. Let's call it home education. Let's not call it homeschooling. You'll hear more about why we don't want to call it homeschooling from Lauret in just a little bit. This was one of the most fun interviews I've ever done. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Before we get to Lauret, though, and her stuff, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today, KnifeKits.com. Hey, have you ever thought, I'd like to be able to make my own knives? I'd like to be one of those guys that makes those cool knives, but thought, I don't really know how to do it. Well, what if you could get a kit that would help you start out with very basic things, finishing the handles and putting in some bolsters and customizing it and doing the final sharpening? What if you could get a DVD or a book or both to help you get through that part of it? And what if you had people you could call up and say, look, this is my first one. I need some help picking some stuff out. And those people would talk to you and help you. You can do all of that at KnifeKits.com. So if you're a brand new person to making knives or even making kydex sheaths, you can do that at KnifeKits.com. If you are a little bit more advanced and you're looking for specific materials, I'll tell you they have it. And if you are a master bladesmith that starts with raw materials, you'll find the coolest stuff available in the blade-making world at KnifeKits.com. They do give a discount to all member support brigade members as well. So before you make your purchase from KnifeKits, if you're part of the MSB, uh, get on in there and get your discount code. And if you're not yet, that's just another reason to consider it. Next up today, Sawtooth Tactical, all the stuff you need to live that tactical lifestyle from Magpul magazines to SOE tactical gear and everything else in between. You'll find it all at Sawtooth Tactical at SawTac.com. And, you know, why are they called SawTac? It sounds cool, but it's because they're in the Sawtooth wilderness of Idaho. That's where uh, they're at. Sawtac is a company run by a prepper, hell, run by a veteran that does what he can uh, to help you live that tactical lifestyle. And because it's veteran-owned and veteran-operated, you know what you're going to get when it comes to customer service. You're going to get it spot on every single time, just the way Jeff's been providing it for members of this audience for over three years now. Again, Sawtac com. Next up, I want to remind you guys about the TSP Gear Shop. Check out the new coffee mugs. I know coffee mug survival. What's it got to do? Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a system, really. It's not just a mug. It's not a cup. It's a French press mug that allows you to carry your coffee in the, uh, in the bottom of the cup to be able to make about three batches of coffee for yourself. Make coffee anywhere you can get hot water and coffee grinds. And, you know, if the power goes out, it's yet another redundancy. Check them out today, and I'll tell you what. For the people that are kind of on the uh, on the edge of prepping, like they're, like, I'm not really gonna prep. And what a great gift! What a great gift! Overbuilt, really good-looking, awesome coffee mug. I'll tell you, any coffee drinker'd love to have one. Check them and the other cool stuff at TSP Gear out today. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Uh, as I mentioned, both uh, Sawtooth Tactical and Knife Kits, two sponsors of the day today, do discounts for MSB members. About 38 other people do as well. i got a new one coming for you. How would you like to save 10% on certain Mountain House items? Uh, I'm going to bring that to the MSB this week with Jeff the Berkey guy as he's bringing on uh, Mountain House as a product offering. He's doing it a little bit differently than our other sponsors are, a little bit different uh, offering. But he's able to, based on what he's doing, give 10% off of his Mountain House products. I'll have that in the MSB for you. Uh, by the end of tomorrow, we'll have that set up. So check out the MSB. I'm always looking for ways to help you guys save money to make that membership pay for itself. And, you know, you guys can help support the show. At the end of this show, if you think that was worth two dimes, $0.20, cents, and then it was definitely worth 18 cents 3 which is what your membership comes out to a year. And then, again, Military, Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, and first responders like paramedics and EMTs, uh, firefighters, folks like that, I also give you guys a discount to thank you for your service. Just email me with service discount in the subject line. In the body of the email, simply tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did if you're prior service. Don't give me a long, long thing. I don't need all that. Don't send me a copy of your DD 214, uh, with certain information redacted on it or anything like that. Just send me a couple sentences and say, hey, I was in the army from, you know, 1986 to 1990 and I did, you know, I was a vehicle mechanic or something like that. Just let me know what you were doing so that I know you're not BSing me just to get the discount code. Uh, with that wrapped up, I'm excited to bring on our special guest today, author. Uh, of the book, Don't Do Drugs, Stay Out of School. And with that, hey, Laura, welcome to the Survival Podcast.
0: Well, thank you. <laughs> it's great to be here. I've been looking well, forward to
1: it. I, I'm looking forward to this interview, man, because I am uh, known for beating up on the public education system, and I think I finally found somebody who brought a lot of fact to it and has done an even better job than me. Um, so you make a pretty dramatic statement right up front when I start looking at what you're doing, and that is that school is harmful to our children. And with all of the marketing by needing better pay for teachers and the children are our future and schools are the way forward and all of this stuff that would have us believe that the most wonderful creation on God's green earth was the public school system, how can you come out and say that school is harmful to our children? Because it is.
0: <laughs> That's the simplest answer. I'm not going to try to overcomplicate it any more than that. School has harmed our children for about a hundred years now. And the proof is really in the pudding because if we look back and say, okay, well, where are we now intellectually as opposed to where we were a hundred years ago? Where are we now? Uh, just physically, our physical health, our intellectual health, our spiritual health. Uh, and then you look around at ha- how that translates into the world and the uh, economical decline and the uh, political nightmare that we're involved in right now. And then we can just look back at the school system and say, well, how's that worked out for us? But even so, we could just narrow it down to the most simplistic terms and say, okay, well, let's just measure the academics because they're all about academics, right? I mean, you and I think in terms a little bit outside the box, but they're all about academics. So let's measure them by their own standards then. How are they doing academically? Terribly. The academics have declined. We've doubled, if not tripled, the amount of money that we've put into the education system over just the last 40 years, since the 1970s, and yet the quote-unquote scores, which I don't measure intelligence and scores, but they do, so again, let's use their own rule of thumb, the uh, scores, academic scores, have declined. So to me, this means more money, stupider kids. We're being dumbed down. So if that's the reason for schooling, then it's a brilliant success, but... It's not healthy for our population. It has been harming children and harming people, and it's time to stop.
1: Yeah, uh, that makes complete sense to me. So tell us a little bit about the book that you've written on this and why you wrote it.
0: Well, I wrote it because I felt that these things needed to be said, and they needed to be said in a condensed version. I started uh, the podcast that I do, which is Unplugged Mom Radio, and I started doing that little over two years ago it's been going on for a little over two years now And the the focus at first was on home education and educating without intervention and without the state intervention and outside of the school system. And then naturally, we started covering more broad topics, but it all comes back to the root. No matter what we're trying to cover, whether we're talking about problems in society, in the political atmosphere, in parenting, the breakdown of communication, the root is always the children how we were indoctrinated how we were trained how we've been conditioned and we've been conditioned to be a very compliant and reliant society who depends almost entirely on the state to intervene in our lives that happens because of the way where trained. And I, I, I've said it in different ways. And it always comes back to that, no matter what subject we're talking about, because I have conversations about, you know, political issues and everything else. And it always comes back to the same thing. So I actually, uh, it was just a tongue in cheek statement I made during the show. Uh, once I was kind of ranting. And I said, you know what, instead of telling kids, you know, don't do drugs, stay in school, we should tell the kids don't do drugs, stay out of school. And someone laughed and said, Oh, you should write a book. And uh, eventually I did. And I said, You know what? I think, I think it needs to be said. But the book is short and it's a quick read because it's meant to spark the reader to think and do a little bit more research and, and keep on going in that direction. So I just try to provide a lot of the bullet points as to why we need to, we need to think about this a little bit and see the ways in which school has been harming our children and thus our society.
1: You know, whenever this comes up and I start thinking about my time in school, I remember certain things that I was taught. I have one of those freaky memories where if you tell me something, whether I agree with it or not, if I find it interesting, I'll probably remember it. And I remember in probably ninth grade when we started talking about politics and and current events, and we got to what a liberal was and a conservative was. And I remember very distinctively the definitions that were given to me liberals believe that things should change and move forward, and conservatives believe that things should remain the same. Hmm. That was the entirety of the definition of the two terms. And I think if you ask the average person, especially without a framework and a background, which one of those do you think you are more like, that most of them would say liberal. Most people are for change and advancement and progression, not progressivism. And to me, that's just one example of something that's like, and the teacher doing it probably doesn't even know that she was doing it. Mm-hmm. It's just built into the curriculum.
0: Yeah, it's built into the curriculum. And the teacher, the teachers themselves are victims of the same system.
1: Well, that teacher that was teaching that was in a school just like I was 20 years before that, getting the same indoctrination, right? Exactly,
0: exactly. There, There are those of us that are products of the education system, and then there are those of us that survive the education system. And what I'm hoping to do is encourage more parents to protect their children so they don't have to end up just being survivors of the public school system so that they can, you know, and I said this on another show recently too, the the best way to wake up society, because we use the mantra all the time, uh, wake up, wake up, people need to wake up. The best way to wake up society is by preventing the children from going to sleep in the first place.
1: I completely agree with that. Here's an oddball question for you. We can talk a lot about what schools do wrong, and we can make a really long list. I'm sure between you and I, we could go on for days with things that they do wrong. What things do you think, though, that schools do get done right?
0: Well, you know, it's really hard to go in that direction, but I guess to play the devil's advocate and for the sake of argument, I, I would say that very in a very... Superficial way, the public school system provides a simple layer of academics. Okay, but when I say a simple layer of academics, it's just enough so that people can get by.
1: Okay.
0: Just the basics, just the fundamentals, just enough so that people can get by. Uh, To produce a a mediocre society, um, to produce just enough people so that they feel like, oh, hey, I'm accomplished, I'm I'm doing something, Uh, I'm going through the process, and I graduate, I go to college, get married, have a job, open a couple of bank accounts, get myself into debt, buy a house, white picket fence, a dog, a cat. And people think, well, hey, you know, that's that's it. That's a successful life, right?
1: I mean, I look so, at it this way. Any kid that goes to school and, and does a reasonable attempt at learning comes out with basic understanding of mathematics. And not, let, let's not even get an algebra and all, but, you know, times, tables, multiplication. They can do math, basic math in their head. They can read and they can write. So, to me, they get that, as you're calling it, a simple level into kids. My only concern is should it take 12 years to do what they do?
0: No. It, what they do in 12 years can be done by the time a child is 8 or 9 years old. It's very simple. And we underestimate the capacity of the human mind to learn and to uh, absorb information. It, it, school does a very good job at creating a mediocre working society.
1: It's, Isn't that what it's supposed to be? Yes, do?
0: that is exactly the point of school. It was established The public school compulsory school system was established to create a mediocre working society. And that is why that is our definition of success, because we've been trained to believe that that is what the definition of success is. So we aspire to these things and we figure, well, this is good enough. And there were a few kids that advance and do a little bit better in math and a little bit better in reading and writing. And we call these kids geniuses. But the fact of the matter is, We'd all be on the same level if we weren't purposely dumbed down. These aren't geniuses, they're just normal children. Uh, How do you explain explain
1: those kids? How do you explain the kid that goes to school, sits right next to your kid, or my kid, and my kid's a 23-year-old bartender that doesn't know what he wants out of life yet, that spent four years getting two years of college and still doesn't know what he wants. And that's my son. I'm being completely honest. I love him, but that's, that's who he is. And there's another 23-year-old that maybe sat right next to him that currently is running a software firm that he established himself. And, I mean, isn't there a point where there is an inherent intelligence level that's maybe a, a bit higher with some people that lets them rise out of this? Or...
0: No, it's not really uh, – the capacity for intelligence is the same for every human being, but we're measuring it by academics and by test scores, and we shouldn't really be doing that because individuals are different. Everybody has a human brain. Everybody has the capacity to understand information and to learn how to think critically. That's a key word right there because what we're not learning in school is how to think critically. There is no uh, training for rational or, or critical thinking or exercise. I hate to even use the word training, but exercise in rational or critical thinking. It's just filling a jar with information and then expecting that information to be regurgitated. And they're measured based on their ability to memorize and regurgitate, not on their ability to think and reason. So you have kid A next to kid B, and one of them is is advancing mathematically, and the other one is not advancing mathematically or whatever have you, using the example that you used is fine too. That is just a manifestation of individual personalities and individual interests. It has nothing to do with the capacity to learn. It just has to do with how different kids react to this compulsory environment and how different kids react to this environment of conditioning. But that's also engineered on purpose. Some
1: free, yeah.
0: Some human beings are supposed to go in one direction and be part of a working class and a, a much smaller uh, section of humanity is supposed to go in another direction and be part of you know, let's call it the, the white collar class. So there's that division and we don't realize this it, it really takes a, a standpoint from the outside. You have to take an objective standpoint and really do some research and learn about the history of education to realize that even that is engineered. That that distinction and that difference is engineered on purpose so that you can have Different types of people fitting into different classes of society it's all manipulated for a, a consumer environment, which is what we 've become a sure. consumer environment and a very dependent reliant consumer environment, which is you know something that your show tries to shake people out of so
1: absolutely I mean, I guess the question then though, when you start thinking critically about all of this is how do any critical thinkers come out of this system because some of us are here
0: they survive.
1: Well, what is it that's different about a person? I mean, to give you my, my background, I probably could have went through school with straight A's, got a college scholarship, and went on and did anything I wanted to do. I had the ability. I was bored to tears. I was a BC student at best, and I didn't really care about school. And I did what I needed to do until I was old enough to get the hell out of there and go off and join the Army for a few years and figure out my life. And if I had it to do over again, a lot of people at 40 would say, boy, I would have have done it the exact same damn way. I had too much fun and I've had too much success in my life to worry about, you know, what my GPA in 11th grade was. I couldn't give a damn. So what makes a person that that goes through an education system uh, that way still come out on the other side and then be able to be a critical thinker? Because clearly they didn't teach me how to do it.
0: No, critical thinking is not really part of the objective in, in schooling. Your story is similar to probably most of us that are on the outside. That it's very similar to my story. I, same thing. I was in school, I was doing very well academically, uh, but I was bored to tears. So by the time I was in my teenage years, the, Different direction that I went in was I became a behavior problem because I was bored to tears. (laughs) And I challenged the system from the beginning. I challenged the authority of the system. I questioned everything. And they tell you in school you're supposed to ask questions, but you're really not supposed to ask questions that challenge the teaching or the the efforts of the system. And I, I had an aversion to it from my teenage years. So I went from being classified uh, an honor student and a straight-A student to a truant and a problem child.
1: <laughs> you do sound like me. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, I was I, I was troubled right from the beginning. I mean, right from, I guess, my, uh, my teenage years. And I got out of high school and started pursuing my own interests. And I will say that that is when the beginning of my education truly started, because I was schooled, and I was able to fill out a bubble sheet and get by just fine. But my, my real education came... After that, when I started uh, pursuing my own interests and really getting involved in a more political awareness and social awareness and even through working, I did work in the corporate arena for a while, but I, I felt a natural aversion to that. I guess I just felt uh, trapped at that point and that, well, what, am, what else am I going to do? I need to pay the bills because I, I was still sufficiently conditioned, even though I didn't realize it at the time. And that's when I really started to learn, when I really started to read about things and learn and build up my own critical thinking muscle. And I'm still in the process of doing that. I'm still pursuing that and trying to become a more efficient thinker and build up all the muscle that wasn't built up when I was in school. But there, as far as the distinction, I don't know. I think that just comes down to uh, an individual difference. There are just some of us that realize it right from the get-go and even though we don't We're not consciously aware of what is wrong. We know something's wrong.
1: Well, I think to run a public education system with, you know, 30 kids in each class and 800 kids at the same school and four grades for high school, there's a fear that if they think critically, they'll do things that you you won't be able to control, such as – I mean, this is a great story for maybe you to tell on one of your shows in the future of of how maddening – a critical thinking child can be to a teacher. I was in ninth grade. I had a science class as a four semester course. So you get, you know, a grade each semester and then you get a final GPA. Well, they made the mistake of explaining that only your final grade mattered for the course. So the first quarter, I read all of the book that was going to be in the quarter and then went to sleep and got A's on the tests. And uh then the second quarter they said that we had a report to do that was like a major, it was gonna count as a test grade and if you got if you didn't do it you got a zero on it and you got A's on all the tests and did all the other work then you could only get a D at best in the in the semester mm-hmm. and uh so I didn't do it. And uh, when the teacher asked me why I didn't do it, I said, Well I got an A and then you gave me a D and uh, then I'm going to get two more A's because your tests are easy and I've already read the book and I could <laughs> probably take them right now. So three A's and a D give me an A for a final average. So why should I do the report? Right. Now, can you imagine a teacher of a ninth grade student being asked that question and not actually having a legitimate answer? Because you've now you haven't convinced. See, at that point, you had never I'd never been told that the work was important for me. I wasn't told that the grade was important. Right. Mm-hmm. So instead of being able to say, look, you might learn something from doing this. Right. She, she, she was trying to answer the question the way they had taught it to us. And basically, I was told if I kept my mouth shut, and just kept doing my work, she'd leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, could you imagine if 20 children asked that question in a single day to a teacher like that?
0: No, logistically, they can't have that. So they, they try to they they do. And I think I think all human beings would naturally have an aversion to being conditioned in that way. But I, I guess statistically, they just said at the beginning of it, those who put it into motion realized that statistically most people would just follow along and most people would be compliant and those of us that did bucket would be punished. And we were. We were often punished. Sure. And we, even if we weren't directly punished, we were cast out or we were labeled as problem children or uh, behavior problems. And now they're labeling these kind of kids with ADD. And to make it even more efficient, they tell them, The reason why uh, you're bucking the system and the reason why you're having a hard time conforming is because you have a disease, so we're going to give you this medication. When I was a kid, we were just punished into compliance. But now it's even worse. Now the children are actually medicated into compliance. So it's a lot more, it's a lot more convenient. It's a lot more efficient for the system to medicate the children into compliance. But that's pretty much how it goes. And something you said was important because it wasn't, they didn't, amplify the importance of the information they paid attention to the importance of the grade so learning this isn't actually important it's whether or not you can pass it we don't care if you actually know it we just care that it shows up on the bubble sheet when you take the test
1: sure and and luckily for her in ninth grade i still cared about the grade right i mean by 10th grade i was like as long as it's passing and it will leave me out of here at the end of this i don't care Right. So, I mean, she got the easy jack to deal with. I mean, the other teachers yeah. got the complicated one. And I guarantee you, if, if Ritalin and things like that were common at, at the time I was in school, they would have been throwing it at me.
0: Oh, yeah, me too. For
1: sure. For sure. <laughs> Thank because God that's what they wasn't. do. They
0: medicate them. In. So, there's two problems with that. Not only do they not really uh, put any emphasis on the importance of learning history or learning civics or, or uh, learning, you know, mathematical concepts or communication, but What is given to the children is manipulated. The information, not only is it it not as important as it should be, but even if it was, it's manipulated. This is not, they're not being given truth. They're not being given real information. They're being given textbook information that is contrived and supported by a particular motive and a particular agenda. So they're not really exposed to an opportunity to gather information on their own. And they're, they're sort of punished if they do, because you're supposed to go by the textbook version. But, you know, we have to question who is behind that, who is delivering that information and what's their motive, what's their agenda.
1: Sure. So and the information
0: into- is controlled.
1: I want to get into the solution. I just want to give you one more story from, from my school years just to get your take on this because this is just endemic of the problem to me. I had this history teacher I remember that he would come in and all he taught was history. This is, you know, high school where you have a different teacher for every subject and he'd write notes on the board and the first day that he did it, you know, I never took notes anyway. But I realized he's writing like paragraphs, full sentences, like an entire diatribe. So I opened the book to chapter one. He's writing the book. I don't mean paraphrasing the book. I mean literally writing the freaking book. Wow. So I'm like, I don't need this. I know what he's going to do tomorrow. I'll just read the book. So I'd sit there asleep and, and, and all, and, and finally he called me in, you know, after class, stay behind, and I'll give you a note if you're late for your next class or whatever. But we got to talk, and you never take notes, and you're always just screwing off, and you never seem to care, and, you know, why don't you take notes in my class? And I said, because you're writing the book. Mm-hmm. You know what? No student had ever opened the freaking book. He never referred anybody to book. No student had, everybody brought their book to class, let it there. And no one had ever read the book. He basically completely ignored me for this two semester course so that I wouldn't say anything because it was like I had busted him in what he was doing. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're writing the book. I don't need to take notes. I'll just read the book. Right. And, and when I come in, I'll already know you're, so he wasn't teaching. And surely somebody trained this guy to do this. He didn't Mm -hmm. just say one day, you know what I think I'll do. I'll write the book.
0: It's, it's acceptable in that environment. And I don't want to say that all teachers do that because they, they don't. No, they don't. Some, some of them at least make an attempt because again, they're, they're normally they're just victims of the same system and you mm-hmm. just, it depends upon how vehemently they defend that system. Because a lot of teachers do look back and say, you know what, I don't want to be a part of this. And they leave and they end up becoming home education advocates or home education parents. But I have, I have run across that before and I don't even understand why Someone like that is even in the position that they're in, unless they have been so thoroughly indoctrinated in their lives that they're so unhappy with who they are and they're so unhappy with themselves that they're just there to earn a paycheck and go home. And the people that are going to suffer then are the children, because what good does that really do to stand up in front of a classroom and write the book? And then, of (laughs) course, he's suppressing you because he doesn't have an answer for you. No. if you speak up, he'll have to. He'll have to answer. He'll have to answer for it. He'll have to take some kind of responsibility, and he doesn't want to have to do that. So the easy thing is to exert authority over you sure. and keep you quiet so that you don't put a spotlight on him.
1: And I remember asking my one buddy, "Have you ever read this book?" And he says, "No." And I, he says, "Why?" I said, well, "Why not?" He said, "He never told us to." So you might want to open yeah. it up and read a chapter or two. And to be fair, because like you're saying, not all teachers are this way, and I don't want this to be teacher bashing. This is system bashing we're Mm -hmm. we're participating today. The next year, the history teacher I had was one of the most amazing teachers I've ever been involved with in my life. This guy would do impressions of different historical characters, and his tests were – I liked him. His tests were challenging. He'd give you – 40 terms at the beginning of the the course and then you had to match, you know, 20 and 20 together, but then you had to explain why they were correlated to each other, which actually meant that there could be more than one right set of answers. Mm -hmm. That guy took his job seriously But I would venture that he might have a lot of trouble today conducting his class that way. Yeah. Oh, of course. Absolutely. The best teachers I
0: ever had. And there, unfortunately, there are only three (laughs) in my entire 12 years of schooling. There were only three teachers that really stand out to me that I really liked. And all three of them were system buckers. Sure. They were the ones that didn't do things the way that they were supposed to do. They were the ones that even the kids, even we knew that they were always in trouble with authority and always in trouble with the principal. And one of one of them uh later on after after I had him 2 years later was actually fired. And interestingly, when I look back, those were my favorites because those were the teachers that I felt I really learned something from. And like you you said, they, they never just gave information. They always presented an idea and then it, their classrooms were always a discussion atmosphere where we openly discuss things and we openly discuss ideas. And if one of us said, you know what, I hated this book. I couldn't get through it. I didn't want to finish it. You know, one of them, I remember one English teacher said, fine, don't read it because you know what, I, I wouldn't want to read anything I hated either. But then there were some kids in the class that enjoyed the book, and then we were able to talk about it. And these these were always the fantastic educators, and these yep. are the types of teachers today that are not allowed in the system anymore. <laughs> so they end up leaving, and they end up becoming the home education advocates. I think the, the most popular example, and he's certainly not the only one, but he did pioneer this exodus, I think, from uh, compulsory schooling, was John Taylor Gatto. He was Teacher of the Year in New York City for many, many years. And he finally said, "In quote, I'm leaving because I am no longer willing to hurt children.
1: Mm.
0: And he, he didn't like it from the beginning, and he talks about that. But as his time went on, he realized that it was getting worse instead of better. And it was getting more and more dangerous and more and more harmful. And he was in trouble of, a lot, very often, for... Bucking the system and the way things should be done and he finally washed his hands of it and said, I'm I'm out, I'm done.
1: So as we look at a solution, how is learning and living without school healthier for families?
0: Because you're not from the get go inserting your child into the government system. I mean, let's let's just call it what it is. This is government schooling. This is training to accept and rely on state control. So when we have these conversations about uh, politics now, and we have this difference of opinion on whether or not we should be involved in state, or whether or not we're entitled to government this, or government that, or whether or not we have rights, and that's one thing that drives me crazy all the time when I hear it, is when people say, well, we're entitled to these rights, so we want the government to give us permission to have these rights. You know what, Jack? If you have to ask permission for the government to give you a right, that's not freedom. When freedom is granted, that's not freedom.
1: You can't grant somebody a right. No. It's, government it's can only protect and have. defend a right. They grant permissions. Gee, exactly. I, I bet that doesn't get said in many history or civics no, classes today.
0: But but there aren't any civics classes. That That's a problem in and of itself. Children are not trained for, for to understand that, though. Children are trained to be conditioned. So when you don't put your child on a bus to be bussed off away from you and you accept that your child's education is just a natural extension of parenting, then you're able to incorporate learning into their lives as a natural consequence of family life. It's just something that occurs and you're able to uh, show them the importance Of learning certain subjects and saying, okay, civics, let's take civics, for example, and American history and world history and politics and understanding that I have an eight year old that could probably rival half of these talking heads in their political discussions and political debates because it's simply part of who we are as a family and the significance is placed on it. As a family, it's not just a matter of sitting them down and saying, okay, I want you to memorize these facts and then tomorrow I'm going to give you a test and see how many facts you will remember. It's part of our conversations. It's part of what we do. It's part of what we read. It's part of what we explore. And we have conversations about these things. This is how we learn in my family. And this is how a lot of independent educating families do things because we understand the importance of critical thinking. So you can you can imply that from the get-go with your family and not send them off to be conditioned from by some other system. In other words, you don't have to undo everything sure. that was done. You're just starting right from the beginning with but, uh, something more natural and organic. You're not creating the dependence.
1: That, that's how I felt all the way through r- r- raising my son. He would come home from school, and I would say, okay, what did you learn today? And we would go through it, and I'd go, fact, 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 now deprogram. Right. right. And I had to do that every day so that he wouldn't lose himself in a system that was dis- was clearly programming him in how to think, right, or actually what to think. Well,
0: yeah, it, th- right? that's it's, the thing. What we want to do is, as parents is – Teach them how to think, not exactly, what to think. Exactly, exactly.
1: You can disagree with me, but know why you believe what you believe. I've t- I told him that so much that if somebody says it today to him, he'll probably scream and run away. Right. You know, right. But, but it's in his head. He knows that that's important. But, like, so one of my concerns always as I look back at this and go, well, could I have done this, is – Okay, so if I have a kid that wants to come out and kind of be a working blue-collar kid or an entrepreneur or something like that, I can give them all the education they need. You asked me to do a calculus program, a problem today, I don't freaking know. I, I don't have any idea, and I don't want to know. And I can't lie to my kid unless he's going to go be an engineer or something like that and tell him a lie and tell him, you're going to need this, Matt, because he's not going to believe me because I'm not going to be able to convincingly lie about it. But if he does want to go on that career path, they probably needs that as a prerequisite to get into college so how does a parent when it gets into certain higher level subjects that they're not versed in see to that education for their kids
0: you know it's funny that you asked this because i'm I'm coming on this myself and it's it's a question that I actually had when I began uh, home educating with my children which was really from the beginning I, I never put my children in school and now that my kids are getting older we're we're coming upon that I always try to emphasize. A passion for learning. And I try to uh, emphasize, like I said, not, not really telling my children what to think, but more or less helping them exercise their natural ability to think and to reason and really fostering that natural critical thinking skill. So, In the early years, what we're doing is we're creating the ability to think. We're focusing on how to absorb information and how to decipher that information and extrapolate truth from propaganda and how to judge things and how to have a conversation about things. As they get older, they develop their own personal interests. It's important and it behooves a parent to pay attention to who their children are. I have three kids and... All three of them are individuals. All three of them have very different interests. So my job as a parent now as they get older is to say, okay, we have effectively learned how to learn. We know how to recognize information. We know how to observe information. We've got the communication skills down. We know basic math. We know how to read. We know how to write. And When I say read and write, I mean read effectively, write Mm -hmm. effectively, speak effectively, communicate effectively. All those things are important and something that I tell them all the time, just because you know how to talk doesn't mean you know how to communicate. Sure. These are important skills that are not that are not delivered in school anymore or not uh, offered in school anymore. Once we have that, then we can pursue our own personal interests with a better foundation to work from. And when they do go in that direction, they will already know how to learn. So when my son hits, 13, 14 years old and I know this is coming and it's time for advanced math and trigonometry and calculus. He's probably going to go in that direction because he's very mathematically inclined. He's very much into robotics and science. Okay. I don't know calculus and I can't Me lie neither. to my son and say you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, need this for your life if I don't have it for my life, but he might need it for his life. He will know how to pursue that information on his own and the blessing, technology is a blessing and a curse, but part of the blessing that we have is that we have access to information at the tips of our fingers. He can literally go online and find a program online that sometimes you pay for them and sometimes they're free that can help him learn these things. We can hire him a tutor. We can enroll him. In an outside class, I live in a state where homeschooling is very popular and very well supported. So there are classes available and there are parents that volunteer to teach different things. So there are many options out there that will help him learn this information.
1: And, yeah, and how much faster does an algebra 2, a trig class, a calculus class go when everybody in that class wants to be in that class because they're interested in it?
0: Exactly. They're there because they want to be there. We utilize Khan Academy a lot. Khan Academy is a great online resources, uh, resource, especially for math and science, and this is a way that kids can uh, learn to learn on their own. So the idea is... Not to just fill them with information. My job is not to download information into my children like they would have in school. My job is to develop the skills for critical thinking and the skills for communicating so that when they get older, they know how to learn more effectively. That's what it comes down to.
1: Well, and the objection I've gotten when I've kind of explained it that way to people has always been, well, but if you don't care about geometry, your kids won't care about geometry. And my response has always been, so you know all the cheap codes on World of Warcraft? (laughs) <laughs> well no do your kids well i don't know I, and i'm like i bet they know something that you don't know mm-hmm. and that's because they were interested in that right mm-hmm. do you know down down up up left ab or whatever the hell the command is to do a spinning back kick in mortal Kombat or whatever these kids know no well they figured that out because he was so to me what you're saying is dead on that there's a certain fundamental curriculum that we need to make sure that children have so they can function at a higher level But when it comes down to a specialization, one of my big problems with with high schools today is, well, everybody needs to take Algebra 2. Really? Why? Why does the person that knows they want to go and have a career in hospitality in the hotel industry need Calculus or Algebra 2? They don't. And, And the answer from any honest human being is they don't. No,
0: they don't. There, There, there are fundamentals that every human being needs. Okay, every human being is equipped with the capacity to learn. Unless there is some real physical malformality and we'll cast that aside because we're not, we're not talking about that. Okay. Sure. When people introduce that into the conversation, they're just trying to deflect. Well, that's like but, saying everybody
1: can walk and somebody says, well, what about a person with no legs? Exactly. Come on. Let's not go there.
0: Exactly. We're, it's, it's a deflection tactic. So we're yeah. not, we're going to not allow ourselves to go down that road. But every human being is born with a capacity to learn. So what we as parents want to do is simply foster that capacity that's already there. We don't have to put it in them. We don't have to download it in them. It's already there. There are some basic things that will help them in the long run. When they do want to pursue their own interest, it behooves us to already have the fundamentals in place. And those fundamentals are all about communication. It all comes down to communication, basic math, basic arithmetic. You heard of the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? Basic yeah, I just arithmetic. Did a
1: comment response today that was so ironic that you were going to be on today. It was it was unbelievable, really. <laughs> it was right on that about you know if I was controlling public education, this is the, the, the four or five areas we'd focus on, and it's exactly what I said.
0: Right. Basic arithmetic is, and I'm talking the fundamentals of math. This will help us learn how to balance our, our check account. It learn it helps us learn how to understand the economy and understand money and understand what's going on in Cyprus because I, I bet you a lot of uh, a lot of people out there have no idea even how to wrap their brain around that. So basic math just helps us com- communicate because it helps us understand our world. Communication is two ways. It's what we put out and what we take in. So what we understand about our world and how our world functions comes down to a basic mathematical understanding, basic read- uh, basic reading and writing. Okay, reading helps us communicate with our world because it also helps us understand. And not only taking in words, but comprehending and understanding what we read. And yes, that does include sometimes interpreting poetry and interpreting literature. And it's not about really having an appreciation for Mark Twain, although I do appreciate good literature. Maybe somebody else doesn't. Maybe somebody else doesn't care. But it's not about or maybe somebody else's
1: opinion of what good literature is different than you.
0: exactly. But that's not what it's about. It's OK to have differing op- opinions. That's not why we try to instill reading comprehension. We try to do that so that people can read something so that my children or, or old children can read something and understand what they're reading, understand the syntax, understand the composition of how sentences are put together and how that meaning changes. Because if you don't understand language, Jack, then language can be very easily used to manipulate you into being vulnerable to propaganda. If you don't understand how language is used, then you can be a victim of propaganda because that's how people are misled through clever use of language. So a proper understanding of language helps with our communication and also rhetoric. Being able to speak, being able to communicate effectively helps your message get understood more effectively. What is the complete
1: subject there, isn't there? Because when I would say the word rhetoric to the average person today, don't you think the average person would hear that is a negative term?
0: Yes, because all of the talking heads on the media use it as a negative term.
1: (laughs) You know, and it's not a negative term.
0: No, no. There's grammar, logic, and rhetoric, okay? Grammar, logic, and rhetoric refer to the trivium principles of education, but because a lot of people are turned off when they hear that and they think, oh, my gosh, intellectual stick in the mud, I don't understand any of that, I try to break it down to something very simple, and that is discovery, understanding, and communication, that's basically what we're talking about. You discover something when you're introduced to it. You Uh, little children or any of us, really, the first time we're introduced to something is the discovery stage. We discover it and we say, oh, hey, what's this? We get curious about it. The next stage is understanding. We start to analyze it. We start to think about it. We start to say, hmm, does this make sense? Is what I'm being told making any sense? Let me break down the language and understand the definitions here. Let me understand and analyze what I'm being told so I can decide whether or not I'm going to accept it as truth or not. And then Rhetoric is simply communicating it back out into the world, repeating it back out into the world, but not parroting, but communicating. There is a very big difference between parroting and communicating. What we want to be able to do is communicate more effectively with the world, and that does it does behoove us to have those principles in place to really understand language. And part of understanding language is understanding math because math is a language. It's it's how physics works. It's how our world works. Math
1: it's, is it's, a universal language. Exactly. It's, it's something that people that speak totally different um, uh, languages can still understand each other through.
0: Exactly. So having a basic understanding of how math works, not necessarily advanced calculus, advanced physics, but having a basic understanding of how math works Having a, a basic understanding of how language works and have a basic understanding of how to communicate effectively will help children as they go into their uh, what is called actually the logic years and that's the teenage years. That's when they will start to want to pursue their own interests. And they might go through a lot of changes because, you know, it's trial and error before we find out what we really like and what we really want to do. And uh, You know, you could get to be 30, 40 years old and change your mind again and that's okay. But it much
1: right, but, much as it times.
0: Oh, of course. Once you start to pursue your own interests, if you have those basics in place, you are you have a head start. You're much better off because now, say, you want to take uh, calculus or advanced mechanics because you want to go into robotics or, or something of that nature. You need the basic foundation of understanding the principles of mathematics, not necessarily memorizing, you know, two plus two equals four or or memorizing formulas, but just having that basic understanding of the language of mathematics. And I think it behooves all of us to have better communication skills because look at look at how many people are manipulated into believing things that are not true simply because they're not really understanding communication. And that's something that has happened Over years, as the compulsory school system grew bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, and kids got dumber and dumber and dumber, it comes down to a breakdown in communication, and we end up with this modern cuckology that nobody can really understand each other, and hence, we're all dependent on the state. And when we do have arguments, nobody can even argue properly anymore, Jack. Have you noticed that? Oh,
1: absolutely. And people don't even know the definitions of words anymore because we've changed them. Here's a perfect word that's a perfect example, liberal. -hmm. Right? So I talked about the definition I was given, but we know the modern political definition of liberal. If you look up liberal in the dictionary, and if you have a good dictionary that goes back to the full history of a word, you will find the archaic, which means outdated, doesn't count anymore definition of liberal. And it is of the fitting of a man of noble birth. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you change that, and then you, you see, and then you start to ask a question if you figure that out, like, okay, when did that become archaic? And how was this word used to sell a concept that it never meant? And that evolution of a vocabulary will destroy the capacity of a society to have meaningful debate on a subject because the word was used to establish a paradigm that it never was intended to mean in the first place.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Terms are hijacked, words are hijacked, and language is used to manipulate people. And, you know, the promulgators of the compulsory school system understood this. They knew this, and they knew this that this would happen. This was very, very much on purpose because the school system was based on the Prussian model of education. The Prussian model of education was put in place to indoctrinate its citizens and to make them reliant on the state. And here we are. We've gotten here because we we can't communicate with one another. And, you know, I've heard the argument, too. Well, you know, words have different definitions to different people. Phrases mean different things to different people. And you have to just accept that. And that's okay. But I disagree. I don't think that's okay Because if we don't have a definitive language, what do we have then? How can we communicate? And if we cannot communicate with one another and we cannot understand one another, how can we develop relationships with one another? And if we can't develop relationships, how do we progress as a race? We can't. Yep. And yes, I, I, I'm. Um, it's okay. You can call me a progressive. I'm a progressive. I want to move forward like you said before. Who sure. doesn't want to move forward? But how can we do that if we can't understand each other?
1: Sure. sure. It's, it's, I completely it's the agree.
0: age-old war concept, Jack. Divide and conquer.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, I was just having this very discussion on the blog with a, re- a listener who was telling me all the reasons libertarianism got it wrong. And what it became apparent was that this person didn't even know what libertarianism was, which fine if you disagree with me about my political philosophy. We can discuss that all day long. But before I can engage in a debate with you, you have to know what you're talking about. And I don't mean be intelligent. You have to know what, what we're discussing is before you can tell me that you disagree with it. Right. Because the way I had likened it to him is like we're, it's almost like we're having a discussion about what color is best for a car. And I've said that it's red, and you said that it's black. But in that conversation, I now find out that you think a car is a pickup truck, and you think red is pink. Right. And at that point, I can't have meaningful debate with you, because we're not even on the same page as to what we disagree about. Exactly. And that's what you're talking about, that breakdown in the knowledge of what things mean in the first place it, it 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 is divide and conquer because if I can do that to enough people, I can make sure everybody runs around and bitches and complains about all kinds of things while the people in charge get away with all the crap they're doing, and we all fight with each other and nobody asks like, okay, where's our thirteen trillion dollars? Oh right, wait, exactly. sixteen trillion dollars? Where did that money go? No, we're gonna sit. And we're gonna debate about you know social issues that really are nobody's business but the people conducting them themselves, while our leaders tap dance and enjoy themselves at our at our expense.
0: Exactly. That's exactly the point. And, you know, the problem with public schooling is there's no emphasis on proper communication. There's no emphasis on really understanding language. There's no emphasis on really getting that basic mathematical concept down. The emphasis is on filling a jar with beans and then parroting. In other words, we're going to give the children information. We expect them to memorize the information. We expect them to regurgitate the information. There really is no process of discovery where we're allowing them to discover information on their own. We don't allow them to discover any information. And then there's no emphasis whatsoever on understanding. There's no logic. There's no critical thinking because they don't actually want that. They just want the children to parrot it back. And when they parrot it back, that's not effective communication. It's just here. I've given you this fact. Give it back to me. You passed your test. Move on. I've given sure. you this fact. You've given it back to me. Passed your test. Move on. And then we develop a society of people that are basically, for the majority, lost. And we're sure. fighting with each other. We don't know how to stand each other. And, you know, another thing that I want to clarify, this. a lot of home-educating parents fall into this trap also. They figure, well... Uh, The school doesn't allow children to pursue their own interests, and I want to allow my children to pursue their own interests. And we're talking three, four, five-year-old children here, six-year-old children. So they they go in the opposite direction. I mean, but they go so far in the opposite direction that they push themselves into a circle. And they end up in this place where they do this radical thing, and they say, well, my kids can do whatever they want. We're not going to do any emphasis on spelling or reading or writing. We're not going to do any emphasis on learning language or learning those fundamentals because we want to be totally free and not do what school does. But the problem, and again, I'll reiterate this, if you can imagine it, if you could create the visual in your mind, it's pushing so hard against something that you push yourself in a circle and you end up right back where you started. So if you're going to avoid the school system and still allow that willful ignorance to take place and not emphasize the importance of communication, then you're simply perpetuating the same cycle of easily manipulated dependent, vulnerable people. So if we're going to pull out, we want to make a smart decision.
1: Sure, because to me, you don't tell a six-year-old you can do whatever you want if you want anything productive to get done, because six-year-olds don't generally, you know, excel at productivity. But what you might tell a six-year-old is if we do this today then later today you can do whatever you want. And if we do this long enough when it comes to your schoolwork, eventually you'll get enough in you, Johnny, that you will be able to do whatever you want. So you're learning this so that you can learn anything you want. That's a much more positive message than you need to learn this because I said so.
0: Exactly. Well, it's pretty much how, how it goes with my children. My daughter right now, her interest is in filmmaking. She likes to make films. So what I'm able to do with her is say, okay, well, what do we need in place so that we can learn how to do this better or my son is very interested in robotics so therefore I'll say okay if that's the road you want to go down then we want to make sure we emphasize math skills but also what we can do and you know it's it, there's this paradigm created and that's another that's another problem it's another symptom of indoctrination is where everybody thinks that we exist on either the left or the right republican or democrat and there's these dichotomies so if you're not doing this uh you know free-for-all thing then you must be uh forcing your children and that's just not fair and it's not right because the word coercion is used incorrectly in, in those contexts what you can do with a six-year-old is say okay listen In order for you to have a successful, fulfilling life later on, it's very important that you learn how to read. And you have the capacity to learn how to read because you're smart. What do you want to read? Oh, absolutely. That's the difference. School does not offer the option. School says, here's Dick and Jane, and this is the propaganda that I'm going to use to teach you how to read, and this is what you're going to read. But with my six-year-old outside of the school system, I could say... What do you want to read? You want to read the biscuit books about the puppy? Is that what you want to read? Fine. That's what we'll use to learn how to read. Or they can say, you know what? I want to use uh, Lego books to learn how to read. Or I want to use books about dragons. Or um, one of my sons wanted to use Lord of the Rings. And I was a little apprehensive. And I said, I really don't know if that's a learning how to read book. That's a little bit dense. But we figured out how to make it work anyway because I took apart the sentences and broke them down. That's the difference that we can offer that school doesn't offer.
1: Well, and what, I mean, how, how old was your kid just for instance, when you were doing this?
0: Uh, well, we, you know, I read to them from the beginning because that's just something that we, we yeah. done. So by the time they were three or four years old, all of them started to show an interest in wanting to sound the words out themselves. Sure. Um, by the time they were six, seven or eight they
1: were okay pretty- so what here's my question then for the people that are the advocates of the traditional school system what seven or eight year old kid in our school system today is reading anything as challenging as tokens work in the Lord of the Rings trilogy let's not talk about the storyline or anything, just the challenging components of the literature itself I mean that was something when I was in school everybody was reading and like You know, on our own, the school didn't have a student, but it was like eighth grade, ninth grade. That's when kids were kind of, you know, that was that was my generation's Harry Potter books. Mm -hmm. And it was a long series of books. It was a lot of information. It was very imaginative. It used a lot of big words. It made you think. And and, and what kid in, you know, seven years old, what are you, in first grade, second grade? What second grade kid in school today is even attempting by the school's curriculum something that challenging?
0: They're not, you know, another thing that uh, a symptom of of public schooling is having to cater to the median. And that means if you do have some children that are just have a natural affinity for reading and you have other children that do find it a little bit challenging, you have to cater to the middle, which means that the ones that are a little bit advanced are going to be bored to tears like you or I or. Uh, And then the ones that are falling behind are not going to feel like they're keeping up. So they're going to be labeled as slow and be put on the special bus or whatever. And that's not fair because all children are different. I had one child that used Lord of the Rings to learn how to read. And yes, I did have to get very creative because it is a dense book. And I have another child that used, uh, you know, hooked on phonics. And that doesn't make one child any any more uh, intelligent or any dumber than the other child. It's just that they were different and they had different interests. But now all of them can read very well and they're reading very proficiently. And I don't just mean that they're able to open up the book and pronounce the words. I mean that they can understand and they can have a conversation with you about the intricacies of the Hobbit and the allegory that's presented in the Hobbit. And I'm not saying that my kids are brilliant. I think that every kid has the capacity to do this, but school does not recognize that and gives children much less credit. If You, uh, you mentioned something, too. This is another example of, of the downward spiral of education. If you were to take, and this is by their own standards, if you were to take from the late 1800s, early 1900s, the intellectual capacity to read and write and perform mathematical operations of a 12-year-old, and compare that to a 12-year-old today, 100 years later, you would see a stark difference in their language abilities and mathematical abilities, meaning that it's declined severely.
1: Yeah, you know, there was this thing that went around. I think it's been somewhat constrained to be a myth, but it was supposed to be a test for 8th graders in the 1880s from Kansas. Right. And it was like, you know, what 8th grader could pass this today? And one of my buddies that's kind of a, a, a big-time, big-government liberal uh, you know, found that this thing was a myth and showed it to me and all. And basically, the, what they think is the truth now. They're not sure. They're still not sure. But this wasn't a test for the children. This was a test for the teacher to be able to teach at the eighth grade level. And he was all proud of myself himself. And I said, "Fine, go find me an eighth grade teacher that can pass this test." Yeah. And you know what he said? Uh, right. You I know, bet some it, of them could. That, that's <laughs> I'm Like, there you go. There you go. That's just. There you go.
0: Exactly, Jack. There you go. I mean, whether or not that particular uh, Internet meme was true is irrelevant. Let's let's look at what we know. Let's just take what we know. Look at a piece of literature that was written 100 years ago and compare it to the Twilight Saga. Sure. You know, and that's not saying that there are no good writers still available today, because there are. There are very good authors out there. There are very intelligent people out there. We know because I'm sure that on your show you've spoken to many of them. They're out there. They're just not as prevalent as they were. Something another uh, quote by John Taylor Gatto was that genius, and I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember word for word, but he said genius is as common as dirt. We just don't allow the kids to really achieve their potential in school. We hold them back. And the reason they're held back in school, they're they're held back intellectually, and they're suppressed intellectually, is so that they can end up dependent on the state and easily manipulated and uh, suckers to propaganda. And the proof is in the pudding because, again... Look at where we are today. <laughs>
1: sure. Yeah, you'll like this one. When I was in New Hampshire for the Free State Project, one of the people that was at the, the hotel bar that wasn't actually part of the group but kind of asked what was going on, and we were kind of explaining everything to him. And he said, that sounds really neat. And, yeah, you guys are right about New Hampshire. It's a better state than Massachusetts for all these reasons. But I'm not ever going to move up here. And we're like, well, you know, it's inter- interesting to us, so why not? He goes, well, my kids are in a school, and it's got they have better schools there than you guys do here. And I'm like, well, first of all, I'm not from here, but I really have a question for you. He's like, what? I said, better at what? Right. It was like, you know, you just threw them for, look, better at what? Better at indoctrination, better at training, better at control, better at manipulation, better at what? Right. How are you going to define better? And I I think that that's something that we've been led to believe as well, that the schools are better. And what better really means today is your kid's less likely to end up shot at school by a gang member or something. It doesn't necessarily mean that the education's really that much better.
0: Well, not only that, but let's say that they're, they're, determining that by scores by test scores okay you show me a straight a student that's on the honor roll and i'm actually more concerned about that student than the one that's being labeled a troubled student a problem student because the troubled student and problem student is you and i jack yeah the ones that are that are thinking outside of the system and bucking it and not understanding why they're getting getting in trouble for being bored to tears inside the classroom the one that is a straight a student though however is very compliant and very much conditioned and very well indoctrinated, meaning that they're very good at memorizing and regurgitating. And so conforming. they're the ones and they're they're very good at conforming, they're very good at memorizing, they're very good at regurgitating. They're the ones that I'm more concerned about. So when you say that the school my child goes to is very is a very good school because all the students are straight A students, to me that's a very dangerous school.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I'm. I mean, again, from my question I asked you earlier, I'm not saying that schools do everything wrong or that no really gifted kids come out of the school system and do amazing things and use their education. I'm saying that the overall one size fits all system doesn't work. There are there are students that if you did your method uh, of homeschooling, uh, would end up almost exactly mimicking public education's criteria because it's actually who and what they are. Mm -hmm. But I would think they would be a huge minority.
0: Yeah, they are a minority. That's something that I I try to emphasize when I do uh, talks or when I visit groups and I try to help parents withdraw from or we'll call it unplug from the system and begin home education. And I can sympathize with the terror at first because we're just, we're simply as a society, we're not used to it. We're used to relying on the government to
1: to teach our children. So well, I mean, a lot of people you got two parents working and that's really hard. Isn't well, it? that, yeah,
0: that is difficult. It is possible. It is possible because there are single moms out there that are home educating families. There are single dads out there that are home educating families. So I know that it's possible. And I do try to draw on those resources, uh, often because I know that that's a, a, a question, but let's just, focus on the fact that even for even for a a family where one parent is able to stay home from work and do the home educating or take that on it it still is scary at first because we're as a society we're simply not used to it we're used to this is not something that's part of parenting we're used to we put the children on a bus and the school does the education We, we don't we forgot that we're supposed to do it ourselves we forgot that up until 100 years ago we did do it ourselves This was the natural way to learn. So when parents first start to go down that road, their automatic reaction is to do school at home and to mimic what's going on in school at home. And what I try to encourage parents to do, and this is also in the uh, last few chapters of my book, I tell them, don't do school at home. You can't homeschool. And that's usually why I try to avoid the word homeschooling and say home education. Very interesting. Schooling and education are two very different things. If you try to do what the school does at home, you will fail. You cannot do it because they are used to dealing with 30 students, 40 students, 50 students in a classroom and they, they have to do things a certain way. You can't do that and you're not supposed to do that. Your child does not need schooling. They need education. So first we have to pull away, pull ourselves away from that paradigm and then move forward with that. Now, like you were saying, yeah, I mean, there there are children that still, you know, they, they end up doing okay. And I'm sure your children are just fine because you spent a lot of time as their parent de doing everything that was done to them. Correct. Or undoing correct. Yes, everything yes, that was yes, done yes, to Matt, them.
1: You're right. Six, How
0: much more effective well, yeah. would it be <laughs> if from the get-go they never were exposed to that environment in the first place? It would be so much easier and so much more effective. Having your children learn without school intervention is, I'm not going to say that it's its entirely simple, but it's not complicated. It's not as complicated as people might think it is because your automatic fear and your automatic reaction is, how am I going to do that? How am I going to get a curriculum? How am I going to do what school is doing? You don't have to do what school is doing. Once you start to accept that education is really just a natural consequence of family life and parenting, you start to realize Not only that it's not that complicated, but the resources are there. And it's much easier for us now, 30 years later, 40 years later, than it was for the pioneers of home education 40 years ago who didn't have the Internet and didn't have the access to communication that we have now. And now it's become so popular. We're we're over 2.5 million families in the United States are home educating. There's a lot of support out there. I live in a community with a great deal of support. So with the support that we have and with the access to communication that we have now, it's so much easier for us now than it was 40 years ago. And that's not to say that it doesn't require effort. It requires a commitment. It requires effort. But all of us can do it. If a single working mom can do it, if a single working dad can do it, then anybody can do it.
1: Absolutely. So how can parents learn more about learning without school?
0: Well, they can read my book. (laughs) And I also, on my websites, com and unpluggedmom.com, uh, there are a lot of resources there and a lot of, there are podcasts there that are very helpful. There's also a lot of uh, articles and links to other resources, not only my articles, but links to other websites and resources that I have personally experienced and reviewed and will support and advocate for. So once you begin down that road and you begin to seek out the support and information, you start to see that doors almost fling themselves open for you and then the problem becomes filtering out the information that's helpful (laughs) but the resources are certainly out there
1: okay and and what else do you you do I mean what other advocacy work uh, do you got going on
0: mostly family and parenting liberty-minded family and parenting I there's a strong emphasis for me and my work on living without intervention. And, uh, I guess I would say it's a libertarian perspective, but I've been, I've been accused recently of being, a unbeknownst anarchist. And I just, I simply won't fess up. I won't, uh, commit myself to the title and I I think it's just a a committal thing for me. I don't like being called anything. I just don't like being messed with. I think that we (laughs) all have the capacity to live free of intervention and that's what I try to advocate for and that goes for education first and foremost because it all begins with the root and then also I advocate for uh, healthy living and self-sustainability and uh, living, you know, eating organically and proper diet and uh, health and wellness without pharmaceuticals and medical interventions. So it's all about uh, really self-sufficiency and learning how to rely on yourself, your family, and your community instead of the state.
1: Excellent. Um, what are your thoughts do you think there's a lot of room, I guess, for let's say a middle ground, more of a um, a private education system, and where parents, you, know, you talk about having classes with other homeschoolers and things like that. Um, I think there's a lot of work to be done there, and are there certain things that are in the way of that? You know, if I wanted to start up Jack's History Academy in my garage and say the only thing I'm teaching kids is history, you know, 1860 to present, and that can be part of your curriculum if you want to come here. Is there anything that stops me from doing that?
0: The only thing you have to be careful of is once things start to get noticed like that, the government always wants a piece of it. They always want to get involved. They always want to try to regulate it. As soon as the government or the state starts to regulate it or some official comes to you and says well you know the board of education has to approve this that's what you have to try to avoid there are there is a growing movement and i'm I'm very much in support of this movement it is a very viable option for families that don't necessarily want to take it on all themselves and do want some kind of community learning atmosphere you have subdury schools you have raw learning centers and you have other learning centers now that are popping up that are completely private. And when I mean private, I don't mean like a Catholic school or a private school. I mean, they're completely detached from the Department of Education. These are not voucher schools. These are detached from the Department of Education and they, they function completely independently and they're completely voluntary. Okay. So families can go there and they accept children of different ages. They operate almost in the same way that a home education co-op operates. And a home education co-op is simply a bunch of families getting together and voluntarily uh, offering to help the children learn different material and different subject matter, and the parents have a great deal of involvement in it. But these organizations take it a step further than that and actually will offer the opportunity for you to say okay here you can leave your child with us and you know they'll get some benefit from this and it'll be completely voluntary in their option and you have a lot of say in it and a lot of parents are looking for that too because remember there are still a lot of parents out there that will listen to me and agree with me and say yeah you know what the the public education system really sucks for lack of a better word school sucks and i i agree with everything that you're saying but i can't I can't change my situation right now. I work too much. I, I just don't know what I'm doing and I need some place for my child to be during the day. So essentially, all it is is babysitting.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, that's it, what it is for a lot of people. I, I can't tell you how many new parents, you know, they have kids that are like three and four that are like, they're, they're, they're chomping at the bit for that kid to get to kindergarten age because then they get free daycare basically.
0: Right. It's, it exactly. And it, it's, it's sad because it does really destroy families. It, there is a, a very serious breakdown in, in family and in our togetherness and our closeness. I mean, I always think there's something very, very interesting in a morbid way about the mom who says, I can't wait to get away from my freaking kid. Yeah. That's very yeah. disturbing to me. And I, instead of just uh, jumping to conclusions and saying, well, that's a witch, I try to think, what happened to her? What has gone awry in her life? How conditioned is she that that natural instinct is no longer there? What is going on here? And I think another problem is uh, women are trained to believe that we are unworthy to society unless we're earning a paycheck. And we can't earn a paycheck if we're home with our child. So we're actually trained to believe that we're more valuable behind a cash register or even sitting in in an office than we are with our child. And there's something very interesting to be explored there, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, The point is that these alternative learning centers, um, I'm going to call them that because that's essentially what they are. These are a, a wonderful option for a middle ground like you mentioned for families that aren't necessarily ready for a complete home education situation but do not want anything to do with the state run education system so at uh, the more the more we utilize these the more we'll see of them we have to actually support them and we have to donate our time and our efforts and our interest in them in order for more of them to Come into existence and start manifesting but yeah
1: I'd like to see people throw some money at the issue too because that's that's that is horsepower in today's world. I'd like to see teachers getting together that know this is a problem, forming their own alternative le- learning centers and charging a fair price but a reasonable price for kids mm-hmm. to go and I'd love to see people establishing college uh not college ones, like scholarship funds mm-hmm. uh, but instead of scholarship funds for the the system that sucks let's establish scholarship funds because frankly, if you want a person who's a good teacher, to spend eight hours a day educating someone else's children, even if they're passionate for it, it they're entitled to make a living doing it. Okay. They're entitled to a wage for, for doing something that, that they do better than other people. Of course. The way
0: it works in a home-ed co-op is uh, give and take. We, us- we usually don't pay each other. Like For okay. example, I teach a public speaking class for kids that range from about – Eight or nine years old is the youngest, I think, up to about age 14. Okay. And I don't get paid for it. I don't ask for any money for it. But there are other parents in the group who volunteer to help the kids out with science projects or, uh, you know, particular kinds of math classes or art Art is another popular one that parents uh, dedicate their time to or creative writing or something like that. So it's kind of like a trade, a give-and-take kind of trade, and we're very happy with the way that works. But in the case where you have an alternative learning center and the parents just need some place for their kids to get this quality education, uh, yes, they are entitled to... Wages, they are entitled, and I hate calling it wages because then you get into the whole tax issue too, and I know that's mm. not a conversation for us today, but they are entitled to compensation for their time, and sometimes they're entitled to monetary compensation sure. for their time. That is happening. It, not a lot of people know about it yet because it hasn't become as popular as it needs to be, but these kinds of alternative learning centers are popping up, and a lot of times they are run or established by former teachers who have left the system and said, I I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I need to do something better. If you look at a, and you know what, I'll provide a section on my website. I'll make sure that it's up where people can go and just have access to all these different options. But off the top of my head, uh, you can look up raw learning, raw learning centers and subdury schools. And as these become more popular with our support, We'll see more of them popping up. And like I said, as long as it's completely independent of the Department of Education, then I advocate and support these 100%.
1: Absolutely. Well, um, you want to tell folks about – you've got a couple different websites. Uh, You've mentioned them. but You want to mention them again here as we wrap up?
0: Yes, uh, com is really the central hub. You can find everything else going on there and all of the other work that I'm involved in is linked directly to there. So you can, uh, com, you can check out and my podcast is available on com. That's getting re up because we went on hiatus for about eight months. So we're just returning to that podcast and the site still needs a little, uh, little revamping, but it's there and the podcasts are available there. I'm also, I'm not on Facebook because, uh, I have a natural aversion to that situation, but I am on Twitter, and I'm the Lorette Lynn on Twitter.
1: Awesome, awesome. So, hey, I appreciate you being with us today, Lorette, and uh, thank you for the work that you're doing and the, uh, the education you just provided here for the audience.
0: Great. It was an absolute pleasure, Jack. I hope to speak to you again in the future.
1: Uh, I will be available anytime you want to speak to me. I love talking to people that are critical thinkers. And again, thanks for being here. And today, folks, that's been uh, Jack Spearco today along with Brett Lynn, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. It's our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget
0: we are what we eat. I don't know the answer.
1: It's like there's
0: nothing I can do.